Amen. And thank you, Robin, for leading us in worship this morning. Perhaps many of you ladies remember Robin. She's led in several women's functions, including the retreats and stuff. And Pastor Brad and Marion are, uh, are on an Alaskan cruise. I know. And they're probably cold right now. So, you know, pray for them. But, well, they're getting some great time away and will be back next week. But thank you, Robin, for leading us this week. Open your Bibles, please. Matthew chapter 12. By the way, that song that we just sang is like number one on my iPod right now. And that's, if you don't know, that's sung by Hillsong. You can go download it after the service. It's, yeah, so. <laughs> Matthew chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible with you, please grab one from under a seat close by in front of you. If you don't own one, take it home with you after the service. Matthew chapter 12. We see as we continue to study uh, this portrait that Matthew gives us of the life of Jesus. It's, it's, it's awesome. It's amazing when we look at this. We're going to take a look at a snapshot today of just a few hours in the life of Jesus. I mean, you know, that day in the life of Jesus. Just a, just a few hours. John tells us at the close of his gospel, after he, he paints the uh, picture again, just picking out certain areas of Jesus' life, he said that if it were to be recorded everything that Jesus did, there wouldn't be enough room on the planet to hold all the volumes of the books that, would be, that could be written. And so we're going to see in, in this today, just again, a, a tiny glimpse. And as we study Jesus' life, again, our desire is to be more like him. We need to see in his life things in, in our life that aren't there yet. And we see in this, and I, I love it how Matthew puts this together the, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. What we're going to look at today comes right on the heels of what we closed with last week at the end of chapter 11. And for review, let's look back. Jesus says in verse 28, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. This invitation to everyone that is carrying burdens on themselves. Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. <laughs> On the heels of that statement, we now move into the first part of chapter 12 where Jesus is going to come face to face with Pharisees loaded down with this legalistic set of rules that they put on everyone. And as we go through this, I want to challenge each of us that, that we would all deal with the legalist in all of us today. That, that we would be able to recognize it's easy for us to look at these Pharisees and say, oh, those Pharisees. <laughs> but that Pharisee that might be inside each one of us. You see, Jesus never, ever, ever condones sin, ever. As a matter of fact, often he will say when he, he, he deals with someone in their sin, he says, go and sin no more. But he does tell us that if we are to come alongside him in this process of restoring, of, of coming alongside others, if you'll remember when we were going through the Sermon on the Mount, he said the first thing you have to do is take the log out of your own eye to deal with the speck in your brother's eye. 
We're going to see some people with some massive beams in their eye looking, at, looking for, for these little specks in the Pharisees today. But again, let's not look past those things in our own lives that we need to deal with. Well, again, a day in the life of Jesus, we see in verse 12, it says, at, or yeah, chapter 12, verse 1, at that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath and his disciples became hungry and began to pick the heads of grain and eat. But when the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, look, your disciples do what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. Now the Sabbath is the seventh day of the week. The, the first day of the week being Sunday, the seventh day of the week being the Sabbath day that God set aside as a day to remember, to reflect, to set aside as holy. We see this back in when, when the Lord gave the children of Israel the Ten Commandments back in Exodus chapter 20, the fourth commandment. He says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day to the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you and your sons or your daughters, your male or your female servants, your cattle, your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days, the Lord said, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy." So this day is set aside to be holy, to be regarded, to be remembered. Now, so we see this day, Jesus and his disciples are walking through the grain fields and they are picking heads of grain off of the, off of the stalks that are there. They're rubbing together in their hands, blowing away the chaff, popping the kernels in their mouth and eating them. Now, they're saying they're not doing, they're doing something illegal on the Sabbath. Now, at first glance, we would say, well, they're stealing. I mean, if all of us today, on our way home from church, driving by the fields that are full, full of watermelons, as you can see them out there now, we just decided, you know what, there's a lot of them out there, and I'm just going to take one, you know, and we just did that driving by the fields and grabbed a watermelon, that would be stealing. Don't do that. But that's not what they're calling out here. Because you see, there was a provision made, God made in the, in the law for the children of Israel that, that those who had fields, they were not to glean them completely. They were not to take all of the grain for this very purpose. They were to harvest, yes, the, the, the grain, but they were to leave the corners of the field unharvested so that as people were to walk by and they were hungry, they could grab a handful and eat on their journey. So the problem wasn't what they were doing, the problem was when they were doing it. You see, we are going to see a couple of things, three things actually that we can spot in legalism and again, looking at these things in ourselves. First of all, we're going to see here that they multiply the requirements. God gave a law. He said, and we just read it, that on this Sabbath day that they are to do no work. Now, the Pharisees, the religious leaders over the course of time now, felt that it was their job to help God define what work is. God left it kind of open, so we're going to have to put up a whole bunch of rules around this to help everybody understand what God meant by work, and in it, totally getting away from God's heart in the process. The Talmud, which is the, what the Jewish leaders wrote in trying to describe and again uh, uh, commentate on God's word in the, in the, in the Torah the first five books of the Bible, they devoted 24 chapters 
to define what work means. 24 chapters in the Talmud. 39 categories of work, each with 39 subcategories to help you understand. For instance, if you spit on the Sabbath day, you better make sure you're a good shot because it must land on a rock. If it lands in the dirt, you better be super careful because if it travels at all in the dirt, you have just created a furrow and you've plowed. Lifting a chair is work. But if you were to drag that chair, you might create a furrow in the ground again, in the dirt, getting that detailed with it. Taking a bath on the Sabbath, absolutely forbidden. Why? Because you might splash water out of the bathtub onto a dirty floor, hence washing the floor. Ladies, cannot look in a mirror on the Sabbath. Why? Because if you saw a gray hair, you might be tempted to harvest it. (laughs) Carrying a burden. Cannot carry a burden on the Sabbath. Cannot carry a load on the Sabbath. So they had to put some parameters around that because clothing certainly could be a load, but we can't walk around naked. So it's okay to wear clothes on the Sabbath. And if you wake up in the morning and it's cold, it's okay to put on a coat. However, as the day progressed, if it got warm, you can't take that coat off because you're now no longer wearing it. You're carrying it, breaking the law of the Sabbath. Can't start a fire on the Sabbath, you can't cook on the Sabbath, you can't. That's why today still Orthodox Jews will not turn on a car on the Sabbath because that is com- the combustion there is starting a fire. If you've been to Israel on the Sabbath, you know you better, you better make sure you get in the right elevator because if you get in the Sabbath elevator, it stops at every single floor going all the way up and every single floor coming all the way down. Why? Because it's work to push a button on the Sabbath. They turned rest into a burden, a tremendous burden, trying to define what is work. Here, they're pointing out to the disciples of Jesus as they're walking through the grain fields the fact that they're breaking at least three of the man-made rules defining work on the Sabbath. They They are reaping, threshing, and preparing food as they are doing this simple act. But notice in this in their multiplication of their requirements and the pointing out of it, just the hypocrisy. It's just dripping with hypocrisy. First of all, they're working awful hard to try to find out who is breaking what. But also, they better make sure that they didn't travel more than 3,000 feet to get to this field, to pop out and say, what are you doing watching that? Because that was a rule too. On the Sabbath, you can travel no no farther than 3,000 feet. But they got a way around this. If you tied a rope to your home and walked, you could walk to the end of that rope and then go 3,000 feet because that rope was now an addition to your house. Again, the hypocrisy and the rules. Well, Jesus addresses them, verse three. Have you not read what David did when he became hungry, he and his companions, how he entered the house of God And they ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor was those with him, but for the priests alone? Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple break the Sabbath and are innocent? Not only do they multiply the requirements, Jesus points out they marginalize the exceptions. 
They, they are so focused on trying to pinpoint all of these things that you can and cannot do in it, they miss the, 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 the broader point of it all. And I love how Jesus brings this to them. He's speaking to the religious leaders. And he says, have you not read? Just, the, just that statement alone probably just got right under their skin. They're thinking, of course we've read it. Not only have we read it, we've memorized it, we've copied it, we teach on it every week. Who are you to say, have we not read? But coming right on the heels of it, again, just showing them that they totally missed the point. They aren't hearing what the word of God is saying in it. And, they, and he points, first of all, to their king, David. The, the one that is the loftiest king in everyone. They all point to King David. And again, that, and, and as well they should. The one that was after God's own heart. But even in the statement there, the, look at the irony. In this, sta- in this story that he's pointing out to here, 1 Samuel chapter 21, David was anointed king already, but nobody recognized him as king. And here the king of kings is standing before them that they refuse to recognize as the king, pointing, them out, pointing this out to them. And he points out this story where David and his men who are running from Saul, the, the, the king at the time, running from him, they come, they come to this, this, this place where the, the priests were there, the house of God, and they come there and, and they're starving. They have no food And they say, do you have any food? And the fact that they had none would tell us that it's the Sabbath because they're not preparing any food. They said, the only bread that we have is the consecrated bread that's for the priests only. David takes that bread because of the need that they had, supersedes this rule for the bread that is there to take care of the human need there and and is given to them and his men. And he says, there's no sin there. Have you not read that? Have you not read, he points out again, this, this, the fact that the priests work on the Sabbath. As a matter of fact, it's their busiest day. That's when more sacrifices take place. They work even harder on the Sabbath, yet they are not guilty of sin. Jesus points this out to them. But he's about to turn the heat up. <laughs> Verse six, but I say to you, that something greater than the temple is here. He just called out the temple, speaking of the priests in the temple. And again, that's a really close to home to them. The temple is the holiest place. They, they, the holiest place where all of their legalistic and ritualistic things take place. They missed the fact that the Shekinah glory had long since left. And still focusing on the, on the rules and the regulations and the following all of this, Jesus says, Something far greater than the temple is right here. They did not miss what he was saying. He says, but if you had known what this means, I desire compassion and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. They multiplied the requirements, they marginalized the exceptions, and they missed the point. They missed it all. They missed the heart of God in the Sabbath. He said, and again, I love this, he's, he's, he's given them a Bible study. They understand it. They write it all out. They get it, every, all of this stuff. They, they understand the words. They un, don't understand the meaning. And he's given them a Bible study here. And he says, but if you had known what this means, I desire compassion and not sacrifice, you wouldn't be in the situation you're in. 
if you had known what this means. Now it's interesting, if you've been with us in our study in Matthew, you'll remember not too many weeks ago we heard this same statement from Jesus. Turn back in chapter 9. When Jesus called Matthew to be his disciple, Matthew invites him over to dinner with all of his sinner friends. Jesus eating there, the Pharisees call him out on the fact that he's eating with these tax collectors and sinners. And look at verse 13 of chapter 9. But go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous but sinners. So just probably a few weeks earlier, Jesus, probably with many of these same Pharisees, gave them a homework assignment. Go and see what this means. Here, he says, obviously you didn't do your homework. You didn't do what I told you to do. You, don't, you still don't understand what it means that I desire compassion and not sacrifice. And then, like I said, he pulls off, pulls the veil completely away. If there was anything there, they're, they're saying, are you clouding anything here? He says it very plainly, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath, clearly claiming to be God. Clearly, if anybody says Jesus never claimed to be God, all throughout, they've never read the Gospels. Jesus clearly says that here. He points to them that, again, you have totally missed the point. You don't understand what the Sabbath is even all about. Mark's account of this story for us tells us something Jesus said that Matthew does not. In Mark chapter 2, verse 27, it says, Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was not designed to have a whole bunch of rules that we keep to prove our allegiance to God. The whole heart behind the Sabbath was to give us a day of rest. The Sabbath was never about not working. The Sabbath was always about resting. Now you might say, well, what's the difference? It's a huge difference. It's a huge difference. If we focus on the fact, again, of the not working piece of it and all of that stuff, it becomes legal. We focus on the heart of God, that his desire is that we rest and we rest in him. And that's the whole point. He's a God of mercy. He's a God of grace. Jesus, again, clearly stating this to them and not to pick a fight. His desire wasn't to, to get into an exchange with them. We're going to see that in a minute. He walks away when it, gets, when, it, when it turns really bad, when their hearts truly turn against him. He walks away, but here he's still engaging them because his desire is they finally get it. His desire is that in his bold statements, these are the ones that study the scriptures, that they would, the light would finally come on. Jesus said in John chapter 5, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me. Continually calling out to them in this. Well, one thing real quickly to look at in the Sabbath, because we have to be careful that as Christians today, that we don't miss it by dismissing it. Because we can easily say, well, the Sabbath was for the Jews back then. I know that the Word of God tells me we don't have to worry about that anymore. But if we take that attitude, we can miss what the Sabbath is to designed for. Again, God's heart that we need to embrace. 
Paul does say in Colossians chapter 2, verse 16, Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. No one is to judge us for that because we are not under that anymore. He says, however, he goes, this, the, these things which were a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Paul is telling us that throughout, back to the very beginning, when God first instituted this, it always pointed towards Jesus. It always pointed to him. Now, how does that all come together? When we look at, at the Genesis account that, we, that, that Exodus points to, that, that God, after six days in creation, he rested on the seventh day. And because of that, we're supposed to rest on the seventh day. What, how does that fit? Well, we need to first look at the fact that why did God rest when he was done with six days of creation? Because he was plum tuckered out? No. The Bible's clear. God, he never gets tired. He never grows weary. So why did he rest? Simply because the work was done. The work was completed. It says that he looked at his creation. It was perfect. It was done. It was completed. So the Sabbath we see there, we, the, the Sabbath was always designed for us to remember and to focus on the fact that we rest because the work is done. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 9. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. There, there remains a Sabbath rest for us. So how does that work? For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his work as God did from his. There's the second clue in that from us. If we enter his rest, that means we rest from the work that we were previously doing. What work is that? <laughs> the work trying to work for our salvation? trying to work and somehow please God as they were trying to do. They, all of these rules and regulations that they were placing on individuals, they were saying that in order to please God, you have to do this, you have to do it this way. And Jesus said, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. You need to believe in me. That is how you please the Father. Hebrews 12 tells us that, that, that we are to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. And then it says, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus sat down. Why? Because the work is finished. He hung on the cross on our behalf. He shed his blood there. And he said, it is finished. It is done. The debt is paid. He did not say it has begun he did not say, I took the ball this far, now you take it the rest of the way. He said, it's finished. It is done. When he rose three days later, it proved again that that sacrifice accepted in full on our behalf, and he sat down the right hand of the throne of God because the work is done. So what do we do with the fourth commandment today? What do we do with the Sabbath as Christians? Well, guys... <laughs> I can't put it any plainer, every day is a Sabbath day for us. A day to remember all that Jesus has done for us and to rest in his completed work. It's done. It's done. Every day is a celebration of that. A Sabbath for us. Now, when we look at going back to now the, the rest that God desires to give in that, 
even literally, we can see. We can see we, we need rest. We're not like God. We do get tired. So it's good. We need maintenance. Take a week to, or take a day a week to rest. Take a day a week to set aside for God and say, you know what? We're going to focus. We're going to get together. We're going we're gonna to celebrate. We're going we're gonna to worship. We're going we're gonna to study God's word. We're going we're gonna to go out to eat together later. We're going we're gonna to hang out together as the family of God, and we're going to focus on God. We're going to go home as a family later and, 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 again, even spend more time together focusing on the Lord, setting aside one day for that a week. Let no man be your judge as far as to what day that might be. Some We have Saturday night service and, and, and you're no more holy than they are because you came this morning and they're last night. I mean, it's all, you know, let no man be your judge. People, some people have to work on Sunday. I mean, we, police officers, doctors, hospitals have to be open on Sunday. I mean, football players, they got to work on Sunday <laughs> for the rest of us. That's, that's the heart of God in the Sabbath, is that we rest in that completed work. And Jesus pointing to that, well, verse 9, departing from there, so they leave the grain fields, and it says, departing from there, he went into their synagogue, and a man was there whose hand was withered, and they questioned Jesus, asking, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him? They're trying to set him up, they're just looking and he said to them, what man is there among you who has a sheep? And if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will he not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable then is a man than a sheep? So then, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. I love that. Departing from there, he went into their synagogue. Jesus went to church. I love that. I love the fact that Jesus went to church. Because we could come up with all sorts of reasons not to go to church, and Jesus had the best one of them all. What am I going to learn? <laughs> but he went to church. He went to church because he wanted to be around the people of God. Yeah, there were Pharisees there. It's a reason why a lot of people don't go to church. I don't go to church. Get a bunch of hypocrites there. Yeah, there are. There's also a bunch of people that just love God. Jesus knew that. Jesus knew that there were people there that needed him. So he went. And he's here today. He's here. He came to church today. He came to Calvary Chapel Surprise today. Even though there might be a hypocrite or two here. Even though there might be some people with a hard heart here. But he knows that there's people who desire to be with God here. He knows that there's people who need him here. That's why he's here. And that's why he went. And I love that. I get, can you imagine the priest on duty that day? And I think I have it bad with all you retired pastors here. It intimidates me at times. I'm not going to lie. But imagine Jesus walking in. <laughs> These Pharisees, though, setting him up. Imagine the intensity in this moment. I mean, you could just see it. They're just, they're just, oh, 
They probably walked in and they're looking for this guy, looking for a guy, somebody who's got a deformity, somebody who's got something that they know Jesus can't resist to heal somebody in need. So they're probably looking, oh, there he is, bring him up, bring him up here, let's see what he's going to do. Mark chapter 3, who rec- Mark's record of this, again, we get another a piece that we don't see in Matthew. It says that Jesus became angry at the hardness of their heart. He saw behind everything that they were doing. He saw behind all the legalism and the, this, this portrait that's put out of this holiness. And he saw behind all of that to the hardness of their heart, and it said it angered him. And he calls out their hypocrisy. He says, how many of you? How many of you, if you had a sheep that fell in a hole today, wouldn't take that sheep out? Now, it doesn't tell us this, but I can only imagine that at least one of them in the last week or two on the Sabbath had a sheep fall in a hole (laughs) (laughs) and probably looked around to make sure nobody was looking and pulled it out. And Jesus calling them out and then just, shut my mouth. He calls out their hypocrisy. How many of you, how many of you wouldn't do that just to save your money? And yet here you are testing this to see if, if, if it's lawful to help someone on the Sabbath. Verse 13, then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and it was restored to normal like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him as to how they might destroy him. He does address the Pharisees, yes, but notice he turns his full attention to this man. And the compassionate heart of Jesus just pours out in this situation. And again, just imagine this man now. He's coming to the synagogue today, probably like every day, every day, every Sabbath day. He would come and he'd be like, oh, Lord, do you care? Do you care the suffering that I'm going through? Do you care the, the difficulty that I'm going through? Understand that he probably was stuffed in the back every time he came in because, because then most of the religious leaders would have said, this problem that you have with your withered hand is because of some sin. God is angry with you. And that's probably how he grew up in this situation. Yet he continued to come. I wonder if his prayer that morning wasn't, God, would you just please show me that you care? Would you just please show me today that you still love me? that you still care. And here God himself looking him right in the eye. Then he tells him to do the impossible. Stretch out your hand. Can I can only imagine the thought, first thought that went through his mind because the first thought that would probably go through mind is, I can't. If I could just stretch out my hand, I'd have done that a long time ago. But he doesn't say anything. He says he stretched it out. Can you imagine? Everybody's looking. The whole room full of people. The Pharisees wondering what Jesus is going to do. And all the others are probably like, wonder what Jesus is going to do. He says, stretch it out. And here's this hand. We don't know how long it's been. We know it's his right hand. Luke tells us that. Aren't you glad that the doctor pays attention to which hand needs to be healed? (laughs) And it says he just stretches it out. Impossible. So, wow. 
What impossible situation are you facing today? Jesus is here. He wants to deal with it today. And when I talk about impossible situations, let me give you a few. Is there someone in your life that you can't forgive? You say, I can't. Not after what they did. It's impossible. You're facing a situation right now, a decision, a t- a something going on in your life, and you're, you're overwhelmed with anxiety and worry. You say, I can't. I can't stop worrying about this. I can't. What secret sin is in your life that maybe nobody else knows about, but you do? You say, I can't stop. I try. You see, Jesus commanded this man to do something impossible. But with that command, as soon as it came out of Jesus' lips, it became possible. Because God's commands are his enablements. And so when the command came out, the only thing left to do was to respond to the command. The man could have stood there and said, I can't. But instead, he stretched it out. So if you're here today and you're saying, I can't forgive that person, Jesus is here today to tell you, forgive them. And you need to step out in faith. You need to stretch out in faith. He's saying, put that worry on me. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. You need to stretch out in faith. Say, I can't. I have tried over and over and over to stop this sin. I can't. He's saying, go and sin no more. You need to stretch out in faith. He's here today to meet with you. You're not here by accident. And he's here on purpose to meet with you. And you know what? He doesn't care at all about what anybody else might think. He didn't care one bit about what the Pharisees thought. He did it. And if he doesn't care what they think, you shouldn't care what they think. He's got an appointment with you today. It's interesting. We see their reaction, the Pharisees. I, I can't imagine this reaction. I can't imagine after all that they had seen and witnessed to this point, and then Jesus then healing this man. But their response is not one of brokenness and repentance, which I know that was God's heart. That's, Jesus was hoping that that would be the case, but it says instead they plotted and conspired how they might kill him. And Jesus, again, we see here the heart of Jesus in verse 15. It says, but Jesus, aware of this, he knew that that's what they were doing. Instead of standing up and fighting them right there, it says that he withdrew from there. He withdrew from those who wanted to hurt him. He withdrew from those who were standing in opposition from him. He withdrew, and it says many followed him. And he healed them all. I love that. Is it lawful to heal one on the Sabbath? How about healing them all on the Sabbath? (laughs) See, there's my heart again. You know, just in your face. And that's not Jesus. He withdrew and did that. He didn't want to bring an attention to himself. He was just 
showing the heart. He even warned them, verse 16, not to tell them who he was. Verse 17, this was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. And this is for you note takers, taken right from Isaiah 42, the first six verses. Matthew quotes this, saying that this fulfills what the prophet was saying about the coming Messiah. Verse 18, Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he shall proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel nor cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A battered reed he will not break off, and a smoldering wick he will not put out until he leads justice to victory. And in his name, the Gentiles will hope. Matthew pointing out Jesus fulfilling what was this portrait painted in, by the prophet Isaiah of the coming Messiah. Notice first in verse 18, Behold my servant. This is God speaking through the prophet Isaiah. My servant. We see in this portrait of Jesus, the God himself stepping out of glory, becoming a man submitting himself to the will of the Father. Paul colors this portrait for us in Philippians chapter 2. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This humble servant, God himself stepping out of heaven, becoming one of us, living a, a servant life, serving the Father, all that the Father desired to do. As a matter of fact, at the end of his life here, Jesus praying to the Father in verse, seven, verse four of chapter 17 of the Gospel of John, I glorified you on earth, accomplishing the work which you have given me to do. And again, we said earlier, hanging on the cross, it is finished, it is done. All that you have sent me to do, I have done. He is our example. Paul says, have this attitude in yourselves. We're to have that attitude ourselves. And oh, how often I fall short in that. To have his attitude, his attitude of a servant. His attitude that's even farther defined for us. He's not, not quarreling, not crying out. It doesn't mean that Jesus never spoke loudly. It doesn't mean that he never made a point or a statement. But what it means was that that's not what he used. All, it wasn't this overwhelming personality that everybody was attracted to. No, it tells us it was the Spirit of God on him that attracted people to him. That needs to be us. Don't draw people to ourselves because we're flamboyant and loud and colorful, but because they see the Spirit of God in us. A battered reed, verse 20, a smoldering wick. We see God's gentle, compassionate, caring heart in Jesus. The, the imagery is, is beautiful. This battered reed, the reeds, those those. 
reeds that would be in marshy areas along riverbeds and that, that would grow up. And, and the reeds were taken then and, and the, the, the perfect ones, the ones that without, without any blemish or bruise, they were re- used in musical instruments the, the, to make reeds in musical instruments. But he's speaking here of those that are broken, bruised. And you can imagine in the wind or if, if something is walking through, a, a cow or something walking through there and bending them over and broken, the world would look at them as useless. Dry them out and use them as fire starter. But, but what is stated here is that's not the heart of God. The broken reed, the battered reed, the one that the rest of the world thinks is worthless and useless, God does not. And maybe you're here today and you've been told you're worthless. You've grown up maybe in a, in a past, in a household that, it, that you've been told you're good for nothing. Maybe, maybe it's through as you've grown older in relationships or in working, work environment or, or you just look around the world and you, you get this message that you're, you're good for nothing. God could never use you. That God's heart is, you just trust me. You come to me. This reed that the rest of the world will throw away saying it's good for nothing. Jesus said, I can make beautiful music with you if you'll simply come to me. The smoldering wick he will not snuff out. They have been on fire for the Lord at one time, just radically serving him, but you've fallen away and you've fallen back into the world and the enemy has convinced you that God is done with you and he is telling you, that's not my heart. You just let me fan that back into flame. He's not going to snuff it out. That's his desire for you today. That's why you're here today. That's why he's here today. In his name, the Gentiles will hope. Gentiles there, it can be translated nations. The world. Again, this invitation that he has. Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. Come to me, everyone who is burdened with legalism, who is burdened with sin, who is carrying around these heavy loads. The nations will hope, it says, in him. He's saying, just come to me. Do you need healing today? Do you need hope today? Do you need rest today? Jesus is here to give you all of that. been talking about legalism today. Sometimes we can be most legalistic with ourselves. I know that to be true for me. I can be as a pastor all the time talking grace, 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 and I believe it. But man, I'm sure quick to say, you call yourself a pastor? How much time did you spend praying today? How much time did, did you spend? Yeah, yeah you, studied for the, you studied for the message this weekend, but you sure didn't spend any personal time with God. And you call yourself a pastor? The enemy sure loves to jump on that. Maybe you're here and you're like that too. We'll be most legalistic with ourselves. God is a God of mercy. He doesn't want to bless you today because you spent time in prayer this morning. He wants to bless you today because he loves you. He wants you to know that you are special to him, not because you studied and and memorized a whole bunch of scriptures this week, but because.
because he loves you. And he loves you so much that he died for you. I don't know who's here today that needs to hear that, but I did. That's the heart of our God. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you are not 